0: Welcome to EHS on Tap. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, Editor-in-Chief of EHS Daily Advisor. This week, I talked to Zach Pusillo, EHS Compliance Manager at KPA, about best practices for handling hazardous materials. And now, on to the interview. I'm joined today by Zach Pusillo, EHS Compliance Manager at KPA. Welcome to the show, Zach.
1: Thank you, Jay. Thank you for having me today. Excited to be here.
0: Uh, It's great to have you. Uh, And welcome back. You were on the show probably about six months ago. Before we jump into uh, talking about hazardous chemicals, I was wondering if you could uh, tell me a little bit about yourself and what you do at KPA.
1: Sure. So, KPA, we're a compliance company for environmental health and safety. Uh, We do a lot of compliance software and consulting work for our businesses and clientele that we do work with out there. Uh, We provide solutions to help our clients identify remedy. Uh, you know, and prevent workplace safety, I'm sorry, workplace incidents, uh, promoting safety cultures that are out there. So, what I do for KPA is I'm the EHS compliance manager. I try to stay on top of all the environmental health and safety regulation changes that are going on out there with the federal and state governments, which is no easy task to do. I was
0: going to say, it's a lot of stuff
1: it is it is uh, but then i tried to take that information i digest it and interpret it and then train our field consulting team to take those messages out to our clientele to figure out what regulations actually affect our clientele uh, because we walk that fine line where we're working with businesses every day and so are we looking for compliance? Are we looking to go beyond compliance? We're always pushing going beyond compliance, but we understand that we have to work within our means as well too. So, mm-hmm. I've been with KPA for about seventeen years. Uh, earned the CSP designation, the CHMM designation as well too. So, uh, just lifelong learner.
0: Awesome. Well, let's talk about uh, what are some what are some best practices for handling hazardous chemicals.
1: You know when we decided to talk about this subject. I was like, oh man, we could really go in so many different directions mm. with hazardous chemicals. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, trying to narrow it down, really it's, you know, understanding, I think, the statement of cradle to grave. And so the EPA uses that statement from the Resource Conservation Recovery Act, and that's talking about chemicals and hazardous waste is what we're talking about there. Understanding when you generate a waste, your responsibility for that waste until it finds its grave. Well, really, when we're talking about just hazardous chemicals altogether, we can go back to, you know, the birth of that chemical, whether it being in your facility or in somebody else's facility. Really, you should have a part in that whole journey of that chemical from the birth all the way to the grave of that chemical as well, too. So, going back to, you know, where it's produced at, if it's produced off-site somewhere else and you're going to use it in your own operations, you should be identifying, okay, what are the hazards of this chemical? Should we subject our operations to this chemical? Do we have to? Can we substitute something else that may be a little bit safer? You know, take a look at those safety data sheets that are out there. And then going through that journey, uh, once you're going to have a chemical on-site or if you're producing it on-site, then we're talking about what regulatory matters come into play. And then, you know, those regulatory conditions were created because of missteps back in the day. You know, we had the incident in Bhopal, India years Mm -hmm. ago that created a lot of different environmental reporting and preparedness for chemical accidents. You know, 2013, there was a West Texas fertilizer incident where that was mainly about just storage of chemicals on on the actual premises and, you know, making sure that they are segregated away from any other type of operations. So we're talking about like, once we get into like producing chemicals on site, there's process safety management strategies that come into play. OSHA has a whole section on process safety management. So if you have chemicals on site that are above certain certain thresholds, then you need to actually put in process safety management plans. When you get into like the receiving chemicals and the everyday use, we're talking hazard communication. So the employee's right to understand the hazards associated with those chemicals that they're using on a day-to-day basis and you know the hazcom plan is going to involve storage segregation inspections of those container areas personal protective equipment Uh, going along with hazcom you may have an emergency situation with a chemical that happens on site so you really need an emergency response plan as well too Mm -hmm. Uh, depending on how much you store you may need a tier two uh, report that it gets completed for, so that outside responders know what to do when they arrive on site and what's actually stored on site. And then, if you're in the, you know, the operations of cleaning up hazardous materials, then we're talking the hazardous waste operator training and plans, and that's another OSHA initiative out there. Um, if you're going to be shipping hazardous materials, the DOT has re- certain regulations regarding how much you can ship, placarding, training for drivers shipping papers and then we're finally getting to the uh, grave section we're talking the hazardous waste so once you deem something as waste we're talking the epa kicks back in with their regulations because they don't want you just dumping that stuff wherever you want to uh we're talking about getting to a treatment storage disposal facility via manifesting uh making sure that the labels are all correct and getting them to the actual grave site so really i mean understanding the entire process of a chemical in your work environment is crucial, and then understanding what regulatory components have to go along with those processes as well, too.
0: Um, you mentioned uh, safety data sheets, and obviously, they've been around for a long time, um, and, and I remember sort of in the old days, it used to be called material data safety sheets, and they'd be, mm-hmm. or safety data sheets, and they'd be stored in binders. Like, what sort of, uh, I imagine that stuff's all online now, right? Oh, yeah. Or, or yeah.
1: Yep, yep. Uh, So, uh, the safety industry has gotten up with the times and technology. (laughs) Uh, So, it was about 2011, 2012 that OSHA adopted the global harmonization system, Mm -hmm. where we're getting on board with the rest of the world when it comes to how we label things, when it comes to chemical hazards. And that's mainly helping in the whole shipping and labeling component, going from country to country. And so, that's where we dropped the material in material safety data sheets, uh, but having those in an electronic format, um, I think, is crucial anymore these days. And especially being able to maybe pull those up on a handheld device such as a smartphone. Um, you know, you never know when the chemical emergency is going to happen. And having that information at your fingertips is going to make the experience so much more easier to handle. If I can, if there's a chemical release going on and I can pull up a safety data sheet on my phone um, via an application, And it takes me a matter of maybe two to three minutes at the most versus running to go find the binder, flipping through that binder to the right one. We're talking maybe 10 to 15 minutes. I better be doing that outside away from the danger, especially.
0: Mm. Um, So what do companies get wrong about dealing with hazardous chemicals?
1: Um, I think not having a lot of the plans and the training in place that are necessary that are out there. I mean, the hazard communication standard is still like number two on OSHA's t- top 10 most frequently cited list that's out there. Uh, so, not understanding what they need to do when they actually harness and use chemicals on site that potentially could be hazardous, but then taking it a step further and really uh, establishing specific plans for your site. Uh, Too many times we just rely upon people to just, okay, you're going to take this drum and you're going to put it here. You're going to fill it with this. You're going to put this label on it. You're going to use this particular funnel and that's your job. But why are we doing all those things? If the employee understands why, what are the consequences of us, you know, using a metal container for a corrosive versus a plastic container? then we're not really doing our job at that point we're we're, we're relying on the employee to figure out that information <clears throat> and too many times they're probably going to end up getting mixed up and at that point we're going to have an issue so for instance if i put a corrosive material in a metal drum it's going to corrode out the bottom of the drum we're going to have a leak or exposure at some point but if the employee puts it in the polyethylene drum we know that that's not going to leak at that point so really understanding a lot of these different components of Material storage. Another thing is like proper ventilation. <clears throat> ventilation is something that, you know, when chemicals give off fumes or vapors, uh, that's a pretty serious hazard for the employee working in that area. You know, I've been in operations, in fact, in a particular plant I was uh, doing an, an inspection in one time. I went back to the shipping area and they had two drums of a separate chemicals. And when they combine those chemicals together in like a cardboard box, it would create a hardened foam to pack in whatever the item was in the box to make sure it's not going to shift around during any type of transport. Well, once you combine those two chemicals together, it made a vapor come off of there or fume that was pretty intoxicating. Like I was even getting headaches sitting there watching the operation for about five to 10 minutes. And so I asked, I was like, what are you guys doing for ventilation? What does the SDS say on here? And unfortunately, SDS was not very helpful. It said, um, use general ventilation, and if not available, um, <laughs> use respirators. And so it's like, okay, well, what is your ventilation plan? And the employee told me, well, there's this fan up here. <laughs> we kicked on the fan. <laughs> it didn't do a thing. And so there was still no air movement going on. And that's when I was consulting. I was like, we got to get in some industrial hygiene, like monitoring at this point. What is the actual exposure here, or can we kick up a higher industrial fan in here to get those vapors out of there? Uh, because we're we're really you know going to harm some employees here and you know set ourselves up for risk at the same time. So sometimes you've got to go beyond what the SDS says as well. Too, you got to take a look. What are the actual hazards apart that are a part of this process? Uh, and then making sure that, you know, you're going through that whole cradle to grave portion of it. So, you know, understanding like, like, oh, we're going to ship chemicals. Well, at that point, DOT regulations kick in. So what is the placarding? What are the shipping papers that we have to actually have as a part of this? Do we actually need a hazwoper or type of certification? Are we doing any material cleanup plans? So just really understanding throughout the entire process what's going on, um, you know, also one last thing i would say about this before we move on is really just understanding what to do in a bad situation basically so really having emergency procedures down for the employees because we're talking it turns into a chaotic atmosphere when there's a a, a spill or a chemical starts sizzling in fact i worked for a university and i was in their ehs department and i was a part of the team that where we went around on the campus and collected waste from you know the different laboratories and the medical facilities that were on site we would pack all that together get it ready for shipment out to a a treatment storage disposal facility so there was one time where we were combining all of our solvents together that we had collected from the campus we had some xylenes uh, some toluenes that were out there from our photo departments different things like that And so we were combining the like flammable solvents into one 55 gallon drum. Well, counterpart of mine was just kind of grabbing some small vials that were labeled as solvents as well too to add to the drum as well. At one point they added the vial, it was pretty small one, and all of a sudden there was a little bit of smoke and we heard some sizzling (laughs) Mm. and that was not good we were in respirators at the time because that was a requirement for us handling the vapors and we had a walkie-talkie that would go out to our department head which was in the building next door to us and so we hopped on the uh the walkie-talkies and of course in a respirator it kind of sounded like uh and so all of a sudden Uh, Our department head runs out of the building. He's basically like comes over the walkie talkie, get out now, evacuate as fast as possible. I'll meet you outside. Met us outside. Um, You know, the emergency procedures were a little bit chaotic at that point because we're like, we should have evacuated before even asking in that situation. Uh, But what happened was, was the vial that was dumped in was actually a mild acid and not a solvent at all. And so, we were actually very lucky that day to not cause an explosion. Had it been a little bit stronger of an acid, we could have had a serious fire and explosion right there in that room with us. So, labeling, labeling, labeling. Um, That's probably the most common thing I see out there as a consultant is a lot of workers and employers get labeling wrong. And it's so imperative to make sure that explosions and fires don't happen.
0: Uh, Yeah, geez. Um, So, and and we kind of touched on it already, but, you know, when a hazardous materials incident occurs, uh, the procedures or emergency procedures are so important, right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, how do you, you know, I guess, uh, what should go into those procedures and how do you kind of train staff on those?
1: Yeah. Uh, So, really, it's preventative measures so this should all be done before the incident ever takes place or the chemical arrives on place so really taking a look at you know once again the birth that chemical at your facility or the generation uh having plans in place before it actually starts to arrive on site or becomes generated and we're talking about like you know establishing an incident command if something were to happen as well too especially something that potentially could be released out to the public you know in Incident command units happen with hazmat teams when they arrive on site, but having your own incident command unit within your organization, I think, is a very good place to start. Who's going to be the ultimate authoritarian when it comes to giving direction? We need an incident commander, pretty much, and then it kind of trickles down from there. You know, how are we going to handle chemical emergencies? Have we coordinated with EMS services around us so that they understand what we have on site and how to respond to it? Where is it located at? You know, cleanup efforts, partnerships when it comes to that, that should all be a part of your plan. And also one thing that people don't think about is also media control. If there's a potential release at your facility, who's going to be the person that talks to the media? Because there's a good chance that that's going to happen. They'll show up on site. And you know, you have to be very particular about the information that you do release when it can be lead to employee injuries, exposures, also whether or not, you know, we're in a situation that might cause for, you know, localized evacuations as well. So, you know, identifying and assessing the incident, you know, evacuate as necessary, calling authorities as necessary, putting personal protective equipment on associated with the proper uh, equipment for that chemical, using uh, you know it, the SDS or I recommend the emergency guidebook that's out there that the DOT puts together and so all hazmat carriers have to have that on hand pretty much when they're driving around hazardous material shipments and that book will actually be an easy referral that you can go to and you can basically look up a chemical and it'll tell you basically if there's a spill here's the fire you know situation that could happen should we get people? uh upwind from the issue so that we're not getting exposures going on out there uh should we be containing this uh to make sure we're not getting any to any drains so there's no water contamination so the emergency guidebook is actually an online application as well too Um, a mobile app i would highly recommend for any ehs professional they should have that downloaded on their phone Uh, but identifying airborne releases coordinating with hazmat teams Assessing cont- contamination, report if necessary, that all of that should be a part of your plans for if an incident ever were to occur.
0: Uh, and obviously, uh, you know, that's stuff that needs to be kind of gone over in advance of, you know, dealing with uh, chemicals or hazardous materials. But how often should you be training staff, uh, oh, yeah. you know, on hazardous material safety?
1: Sure, uh, that's. I mean, it depends on the regula- regulation, but most answers are probably going to be before the employee is going to do any handling with the material, the training should occur, and then at least annually after that for most situations. You know, if we're talking the hazard communication standard, all employees are going to handle a chemical need to be trained on that before the employee goes operational with the chemicals, and then if there's any type of introduction of a new hazard on site, you have to retrain. And then I recommend annually as well with that. If it's hazardous waste management, that's more of an EPA type of regulation. Anybody is gonna be a part of the hazardous waste operation, especially for small quantity generators and large quantity generators. They have to go through training on an annual basis for how that process goes in the worksite. If they're a hazardous waste operator, we're talking the 40 hour HAZWOPER training. And once again, that's for site cleanups. They've gotta take 40 hours of it initially, Eight-hour refresher annually. If it's DOT, if they're any part of the shipping process, they've got to take that training at least every three years. If they're going to be the driver, there's some more different training that goes into effect. So a lot of this is on an annual basis, uh, making sure that we're keeping up with the different regulations that could change, and also really the work environment. That's what changes more than the regulations. You know, where are we storing this? These items at? What are the potential hazards? You know we have the proper labeling on all of these items? Um, there's softwares out there today as well, too, that really do generate and help out with the, all of those components, the SDS, the labeling component. In fact, KPA has a software where if you basically look up a safety data sheet or a chemical, uh, you have a couple options. You can have the safety data sheet, or if you need like a secondary container label, You can click request that. It'll pull all the pertinent information from the safety data sheet and create a label that you can print out and put right on the container itself. So lots of different great softwares out there that can aid in the management of hazardous materials on site, hazardous waste, all that. Uh, So like I said, safety and environmental consulting companies have gotten up with the times and the technology, and so might as well put that to use as much as possible.
0: Because there's just so much to keep track of as you know as you've just been going over just the, all different regulators and and agencies uh all the different requirements you know you can't expect to just sort of you know necessarily know all this stuff uh you know right off the top of your head you know i think having having something that can kind of track all that for you uh it's got to be crucial oh for sure
1: yeah I mean there's so many different reports that go along out there as well too you've got like epa tier two reporting you've got large quantity generator reports that go into all of this wouldn't it be great if you had um basically software that can do majority of these items for you you basically put in you know your information and then that software can pull all that information and generate a tier two report you know, there there's software companies out there, such as KPA, that can actually do that type of service. So keeping up to date with all this information, we used to use spreadsheets, um, we used to use, you know, probably Microsoft Word to a certain extent. Yeah. It, it, we can get away from all that now.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and we can make Word, these things Word work Excel, for us so much right? easier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, uh, any, anything else sort of uh, that kind of springs to your mind when it comes to just sort of, you know, being prepared for dealing with hazardous chemicals
1: it's not the if it's ever going to happen it's probably the win and so i mean the whole theme was really being prepared ahead of time with prevention strategies you know really going into what you have and identify what you have on site i mean epa is what the entity that defines hazardous materials and so really identifying what you have on site, understanding the chemical, the more you understand about the chemicals and the processes involved with the chemicals throughout the whole birth to the grave of that chemical, the more successful and safer your operations are going to be. So uh, really is taking a time to sit down as a team and like I said, put that timeline out there. You know, this chemical is arriving on site this way at this point. Let's go all throughout that process to make sure that we dot all our I's, cross all of our T's to make sure that we don't have a chance for a spill. But if we do, let's also get dot our I's and cross our T's and work with outside EMS coordinators on how they would handle and approach the situation and what they would like for us from us when they arrive on site.
0: Great advice. Zach, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been great.
1: Thank you very much for having me. I always appreciate our talks. and then till next
0: time. All right. That wraps up episode 176 of EHS on Tap. You can find more information about the show and listen to on-demand episodes at ehsdailyadvisor.blr.com. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I hope you join me next time.